the American, yeah. See USA, USA, yeah. Mac, Mac, yeah. Mountain West, yeah. And the Sun Belt, oh yeah. Group of Five Live is part of the Landry Football Network. My name's Chris Mykoski. Plenty to talk about today as we get set for week one weekend action. Got started last night, but college football as a whole didn't begin last night. There were some people who don't respect FCS football that may have said so. In fact, I tweeted at Dennis Dodd that college football actually started last Saturday and I got back a quick DM. Uh-huh. You could hear the dismissive nature through the text, but uh, <laughs> it did begin with Central Arkansas and Austin P last Saturday in the FCS kickoff game. But group of five football and FBS football did start last night. And our guests' teams are 2-0. and So some good vibes going here. Maybe it's going to be a reason for people to uh, accept my invitations if uh, their teams get good luck associated with it. So we had Steve Irvine from UAB and J.D. Byers from South Alabama on the inaugural Group of Five live show on Monday. Both of their teams come out victorious. UAB, 45-35, winners over Central Arkansas. I watched the first couple of drives before getting pulled away. Of course, I checked back in throughout the night. But those first couple drives, UCA just looked overmatched. But the Blazers let them stay close. It was only 28-21 to 21 in favor of UAB at the half, mainly because UAB couldn't hold on to the ball. Uh, all 21 of UCA's first half points came off of turnovers, including a scoop and score with about 90 seconds left. But, you know, we talked about it with Steve that team's greatest improvements always come between game one and game two. So between that, that UCA had already played, and the fact that Central Arkansas is just a good FCS team anyway. I mean, if this were a typical season and everybody in FCS is playing, you got to imagine their top 15, maybe even top 10. I mean, they're a defending conference champion, playoff team, they weren't going to be a pushover. So UAB happy to just survive in advance, pick up that win and move on. And now that's 19 straight home wins for UAB. They are perfect at Legion Field since the program was resurrected. In the other game, the first all-FBS affair of the season and a pretty significant upset, South Alabama – 32 to 21 winners at Southern Miss. The Jags went 2 and 10 last year. They hadn't won on the road 
since 2017. And you remember on Monday, J.D. Byers told us that Desmond Trotter was getting pushed in fall camp by a transfer QB, Chance Lovertich. But now there is zero question that this is Trotter's team. He threw for 299 yards and two scores last night. So we're officially underway. Six games Saturday now. So a full day of football, not the volume that we're used to in week one, but still you have excuses to stay on your couch all day long. And all the games involve at least one group of five team. There's a triple header on big ESPN. And because there's not a ton of games to go around, there's actually no college football, which is going to be weird to flip around to on ESPN2 or ESPNU. All of the ESPN-owned games that are on linear TV are all on the big network. That starts at 1 Eastern, noon Central, Marshall hosting an FCS team, Eastern Kentucky, and then at 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central, SMU at Texas State, and that'll be capped off by Arkansas State at Memphis that's supposed to get started at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Obviously, the kickoffs will be a little bit after the uh, top or bottom of the hour, whatever the case may be. Got to get uh, the intros in and get, uh, get you set for kickoff. One other nationally televised game that's on CBS Sports Network, 1.30 Eastern, 12.30 Central, Middle Tennessee is at Army. Then a couple of games that are streaming and – I know a lot of people will be happy to know they're on ESPN3, not ESPN+. Plus. So as long as you can authenticate with your cable or satellite provider, you can get these for free. Uh, obviously, it's not really free. You're paying for cable or satellite, or in some people's cases, those people remain nameless. You just mooch off of family and friends who, who have cable and satellite, who have not cut the cord. And then you can get your login and still watch on ESPN3. Uh, both of those games uh, have Conference USA teams hosting in-state FCS opponents. All of this happening in Texas. Uh, 7.30 Eastern time, 6.30 Central. North Texas, from right down the road from uh, where I'm talking to you. I live in McKinney. Uh, North Texas, of course, over in Denton. They are home against Houston Baptist, the first of three FBS opponents that HBU will play this fall before um, shutting things down and getting ready for a spring FCS season. Then at 8 Eastern, 7 Central, UTEP hosting Stephen F. Austin. And uh, in the case of the Lumberjacks, of course, I'll leave the FCS show in the Landry Football Network to talk about most of these details, but SFA is trying to grab as many games as they can, and they're going to pass on a spring season. So as much as they can get here in the fall, then they'll, they'll shut it down and get ready for fall of 2021. So you got your calendar set, your day planner. All uh, It's not going to take too much effort to get flipped around, at least in the early portion of the day, so long as you have a second screen and you can get ESPN 
and CBS Sports Network up. You can keep track of everything. And then when it gets into prime time, you'll want a computer and a phone sitting around so you can keep track of the, uh, the prime time ESPN game, Arkansas State at Memphis, and then those two games that are streaming on ESPN3. So again, nowhere close to a typical week one, but there are still games on all day and the group of five gets a little more attention than usual. On the podcast today, we're gonna focus on the latter two games on big ESPN, starting down in Central Texas. Texas State starts its season on Saturday afternoon, 3.30 Central versus SMU in San Marcos. Brent Freeman covers the team in a wide variety of fashions. He does play-by-play for ESPN Plus, ESPN Three Games, hosts the weekly radio show. And uh, Brent, it's the second season under Jake Spavital, three and nine in year one. Heading into year two, what have you seen from him and his staff navigating this bizarre offseason? Yeah, you know, certainly this has been a different set of circumstances, and, and you feel for a coach who's getting into year two, right, because he's kind of learning uh, on the job a year ago. It was, coach Spavadol, for him, it was his first uh, job as a head coach. You know, he'd been a coordinator for so many years, his first time guiding a program, and kind of got his feet wet last year. So you feel like, okay, you know, got year one under my belt, things will be better in year two, and then this hits. You know, certainly it, it disrupts things because so much attention has been paid, rightfully so, to safety protocols, social distancing, you know, ensuring, again, the safety of your student athletes, your coaching staff, anybody affiliated with the program, where maybe you don't dedicate as much time to X's and O's or to the opponent, not as much as you would like, because you're making sure guys are, are wearing their, their masks when they're not on the field, um, that uh, your sidelines are clear, not essential personnel and all this stuff. So, uh, but they've done their best. You know, the, the, the program is one of 76, fortunate enough to be playing uh, this season, and I think one of 12, lucky enough to be, to be playing this week or this, this Saturday. So, um, so that said, you know, they've gone through a, a complete fall camp. You know, they've uh, this has been game week for them in terms of getting ready for SMUs. So they can actually focus on X's and O's, although they still have to go through rounds of testing. Uh, sure. Understand they're having another one either today or tomorrow and another one on Friday. So there'll be a total of uh, two or three done this week alone. Um, so, you know, they've navigated, as mu- navigated through it as much as they possibly can. You mentioned the offseason. Uh, there have been a lot of changes. Uh, particularly with the offensive staff. Coach Spavadol is an offensive guy. Um, and last year, it was really hard on him to not call the place. He had been so accustomed to that at West Virginia, at AM, at Cal, wherever he's been. And to relinquish that last year was very different for him and not in a good way. So, so he's now assumed play-calling duties for the program. Uh, with that, has also brought a new offensive coordinator, um, out is Bob Stitt, and uh, for the team is Jacob Peeler, uh, who uh, spent some time with Coach Spav at Cal, and the last three years was the uh, receivers coach, co-offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Um, so he's highly regarded, one of the best receivers coaches in the country. They've also made some changes at receivers coach and tight ends coach. And uh, so I think, you know, the, the team last year struggled, but uh, between the coaching changes, um, 
the the new players brought in, the ones that are coming coming back, this will be a far different looking team this year. And just to lift the curtain back a little bit, uh, Brant and I are talking on Wednesday morning. The episode will drop on Friday. So all that testing that he talked about will go on before any of you hear this conversation. And hopefully results are all good. And we're playing football mm-hmm. in San Marcos here uh, this weekend. Now, Brant, when you and I talked in the offseason, I know we thought the SMU game could get picked up nationally. But I think at the time, we were thinking ESPNU. Now it's on the mothership on yeah. big ESPN. Now, what are we going to see on there as far as atmosphere in San Marcos? How many fans are going to be allowed in the stands? Obviously, under normal circumstances, a season opener against the Mustangs would draw really well. It would, you know, and, and you're right, too, you know, Chris, before we knew that the schedule was going to be altered so much, even if the full slate of games was happening, even if you know all 130 teams were playing, we thought there might be a chance the game could be picked up by linear television. I think it was a no-brainer for ESPN to pick it up now that the schedule's been whittled down to what it is. Um, but the fact they get on the mothership, you know, ESPN is really big for the program in terms of exposure. That said, though, you would like for that exposure to be 30,000 in the stands. And I think that, yes, had the, had the pandemic not hit, you would get a crowd of 25,000-plus between the anticipation of a season opener, between the proximity of SMU, uh, how well their fans would travel. It's a short four-hour drive from, from Dallas to San Marcos. Um, I think that under normal circumstances, the environment would be great. It, this would be a phenomenal opportunity to showcase the stadium, the program, and the university. Uh, but, you know, that's not the case. So they are limiting the stadium to 25% capacity, okay. which comes out to a cap of 7,500. Um, you space that out in a 30,000-seat stadium, there's not going to be much of an environment there. Um, so it'll be nice to get the shots of campus and the stadium itself, you know, but while the game is being played and the shots of the crowd are being shown, um, you know, it's going to be different. It's not going to be a, a true reflection, you know, of, of what Bobcat Stadium would typically look like in a game like this. So the exposure is great. To have, to have the nation's attention is great. Uh, you wish, though, that this would come, again, under better circumstances than what we're faced with. Uh, you mentioned the changes on offense, and probably the most visible one on Saturday is going to be a quarterback. You have a transfer in Brady McBride taking over for a two-year starter. How did that battle shape up during fall camp, and what did McBride need to do to win it? You know, when Brady McBride transferred in from Memphis last year, he did so, I think, with a week or two left in fall camp. And he impressed the coaching staff so much that had he been given a waiver, he would have taken over as a starting quarterback in the middle of last season. You know, I think they, they thought so highly of him, more so than Tyler Vitt and Gress Jensen at the time. Um, so that said, you know, it was assumed that going into the offseason that this was Brady McBride's job, you know, and everybody else is playing for second. But Coach Babadol admitted that Tyler Vitt made this a much closer competition than he thought. Uh, McBride, give you some background on him from Coppell. Uh, his dad, Joe McBride, a longtime head coach in Texas, uh, in, in Texas, the high school level, coached at Coppell, other stops as well. Um, so this is a guy in Brady that's grown up around the game. You know, he, he's, he's a student of the game. Um, he loves playing football. You know, he, he has this kind of a gunslinger mentality. Um, isn't afraid to back down from, from any competition or challenge. You know, he, he's a guy who wants to take things head on. 
Um, and that can both, both work in his favor and against him. He, he's a, a quarterback who tends to take, take chances. It could come back to bite him a little bit. But I think the coach Babadol respects that approach to the game from, uh, from McBride. You know, so, so Vitt's personality is certainly not the same, but he's somebody who's been in the system now for two years. Um, he has a better understanding of where guys need to line up, formations, play calls, stuff like that, where, where McBride isn't as familiar with it. So I think that gave Vitt a pretty good chance to compete with him for the starting job. And they, didn't announce, they did not announce Vitt was a starter until early on this week, or, or uh, McBride, rather, the starter until early on right. this week. So, um, so McBride goes in as the number one. Uh, you know, Vitt will be the number two. And I think the team feels good about <clears throat> who they have slotted at one and two this year. Here's, something, here's an interesting stat, though, here for you, Chris. Um, this will be the fifth different opening day starter for the team at quarterback in as many years. Last year was Tyler Vitt. The year prior was Willie Jones. The year before that, it was Damian Williams. And the year before that, it was Tyler Jones. So you look at the record the past several years, you know, it's been three nines and two and tens. And there's a myriad of factors of why that is. But I think that the inconsistency of the game's most important position certainly has played a factor into that. Yeah, and Memphis, obviously, at least this season, isn't going to be hurting at quarterback. And we're going to talk with Jeff Brightwell, you're hearing, you're going to hear that conversation next here on the podcast, talking about Memphis Tigers and everything they have coming back and their opening game against Arkansas State, which follows the Texas State SMU game on ESPN on Saturday. Now, Brant, what about the rest of the offense? Uh, Caleb Twyford, I know he was one of your leading rushing rushers last year, and I'm looking at the roster. The depth chart isn't out yet, but at least on the roster, he's listed as a, as a receiver. So are they mm -hmm. changing things up a little bit there? No, I think that might be a typo, honestly. When, okay. when Twyford first came to Texas State, he's from Farmersville, and he was a great running back there. But when he first came to Texas State, they felt good about the depth of running backs, so they moved Twyford to receiver. He was there just his freshman season. He has since been at running back. He was, as you said, the leading rusher a year ago and uh, does expect to get plenty of time at tailback, you know, this year. You mentioned the top rusher from a year ago. All due respect to Twyford, you look at the numbers, it's not really saying much. I mean, I think that Twyford ended up with a little more than 400 yards or so for the season. See, I was going to try to be nice, but if you if you want to go that direction, that's fine too. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, you know, I'm going to tell it like it is here, you know, Chris. Uh, I think over the past 25 years, it is the second fewest amount of yards for a team's leading rusher at Texas State you know, as was the case last year. And Twyford, to be fair to him, you know, missed a few games due to injury. There are a lot of issues on the offensive line. Um, you know, the, the, the team would get so far behind early on, they had to abandon the run. I mean, there, there are reasons why. I think Twyford sure. is a very capable back and uh, can do some good things. So he'll be a part of the backfield, but he's not a bell cow. Uh, the team brought in two transfers uh, and Brock Sturgis, uh, Sturgis was a Juco guy last year, but, but began his career at Arizona State. And the other transfer they brought in is a San Antonio kid from Brennan, who was at Oklahoma State last year, Jamil Jeter. They're still trying to get Jeter cleared by the NCAA in terms of the waiver, and that is yet to come through. So I don't know if Jeter would be available this week or any game this year. That's still up in the air. Um, but uh, if he is part of the fold, then you have uh, Sturgis, Jeter, Twyford, 
along with uh, Calvin Hill, who, who got some time as a true freshman last year, and uh, Robert Brown, who is the most experienced back they have. I believe this is his fourth year now in the program. So the running game last year uh, struggled to say the least, but uh, between the new backs they have in, some new offensive linemen as well, they feel much better about their ability to run the football this season. Yeah, and a lot, just a lot of weapons to go around. But as you mentioned, the ability to to run the ball only works uh, when you don't have to sling it around when you're playing from behind. And hopefully, mm-hmm. that won't be the case for the Bobcats when you've got the offense you're going to be facing this weekend with SMU. Shane Bouchel, Reggie Robertson, so many great players coming back from a team that won ten games. What do you do to contain the Mustang offense? Who has to step up there? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, you, you think back to the game last year when Bouchelle had even more weapons outside of Robers, uh, Robertson, you know, um, who did play in that game, by the way, until he was lost for the year. I think he played the first six and then the injury happened and didn't play again. But uh, in the first half of that game, they really kept that offense in check, held SMU to 13 points. They picked off Bouchelle twice. But the issue was, Chris, they didn't turn those turnovers into points, I believe. Of the two picks they got, they only turned that into three points. So if Michelle's going to make mistakes, and he didn't make many last year, um, you've got to make them pay. And that wasn't the case. So it was a 13-3 game at halftime. Great to hold SMU to 13. Great to be within 10 of SMU on the road. But offensively, you're not going to beat the Mustangs with field goals. Um, and so in the second half, uh, Bouchelle stopped throwing the ball to Texas State, and T.J. McDaniel took over. The South Lake Carroll kid had a huge game. I think eight carries for 159 yards yeah. and three touchdowns. Kind of remind me a little bit of Randy Moss's game against the Dallas Cowboys in 98, where it felt like every time he touched the ball, he scored. <laughs> um, so I covered you know, McDaniel at South Lake Carroll, so no, bit, no surprise at all that he was uh, tearing it up already at SMU. Yeah, so uh, and so, you know, uh, he's now uh, the guy in the backfield, at least going into the season for SMU. Um, so the Bobcats certainly have to find a way to contain him. But in terms of Bouchelle and Robertson, they've got to make SMU, if they're going to score, they have to make them drive. If they're giving up chunk plays, 40 yards at a time, 30 yards, whatever the case may be, the Bobcats are going to be in for a long Saturday. If, if, if it takes SMU 12 plays, you know, to go 80 yards in four-plus minutes, you know, that will shorten the game, you know, for SMU's offense, and that will give Texas State a chance. Um, if, they give up, if they give up explosive plays, they're going to struggle because, well, I think there are better parts in place for the Bobcats offense, and you have Coach Babbittall calling plays, and we know his history as a play caller is very good. I don't think they can go uh, toe-to-toe with SMU in terms of big plays. I don't think they can – outscore SMU in a high-scoring game. Um, So I think for Texas State, if you can hold the Mustangs in the 30s, that gives you a shot. Um, But, uh, you know, they have to be able to manage the game and and dictate tempo. Let's close out uh, with this. Uh, Every athletic program in the country is trying to address racial injustice and hopefully affect mm-hmm. positive change. Texas State announced a new committee this week, and it's named after one of your former student athletes in Dr. Johnny Brown. Uh, tell me about the formation of that committee and uh, what you hope that that's going to accomplish there on campus. Well, you know, when the, uh, when the, the tragic murder of George Floyd took place, um, 
the university did not stay quiet about it. In fact, Coach Spavadol himself, you know, went out on social media to talk about the social injustice that we face in the country. Of course, you know, when you coach a game like football, a, a good chunk of your players are, are African-American and they come from, you know, tough backgrounds and, and this impacted them heavily. And he wanted to let them know that he, that they have his support. And um, shortly after that release came out, the, the football team met and uh, Gavin Graham, a linebacker out of Austin Anderson High School, whose father played at Texas and later in the NFL for Detroit, um, he organized a unity march, which included members of the football team, members of the athletic administration of the university's administration, other uh, athletic programs on campus, and they all met uh, at a location in San Marcos and marched with local law enforcement uh, from there to the stadium. And once they arrived at the, at the football stadium, uh, members of the law local law enforcement spoke. Uh, Gavin Graham himself spoke about his own experiences and, uh, and they fully had the support of not only Coach Spavadol, but again, athletic administration. And I think they kind of spearheaded uh, this, this organization that, that, um, you know, that, that the university has put together. And this is a very diverse university. We have a student body of close to 40,000. Um, and you talk about you know, your student athletes, and again, you know, football and, and basketball and track and field and, you know, baseball. I mean, we, you know, we have a lot of African-Americans that, that uh, you know, are part of the student body that are part of athletics here. And it is, uh, it is so important to let them know that uh, you support change, that you, you want change. And, you know, uh, for many of the, those in leadership roles, like Coach Babadol, like those in, in senior administration athletics, you know, we don't come from the same backgrounds. You know, they're white. And uh, so it's important for them to let them know that we're willing to not only listen, but be a part of change. And um, that, that, that I think was a big reason why this organization came about. That's how positive changes get made. I mean, it's, it's people who haven't been through those circumstances mm -hmm. trying to listen and understand. And just another great thing being done there on campus at Texas State. Mm -hmm. Appreciate your time, Brant. Uh, look forward to doing this again later on in the year. And uh, hopefully, you know, it's good for the program that you guys are getting linear national TV games. But sure. for your sake, I hope you get back on the air sometime soon. Yeah, you know, I'm chomping <laughs> at the bit. I could tell you that. You know, I know that you're a DFW guy. And I kind of, you know, I don't know if this is the best comparison. But, you know, uh, the Dallas Mavericks, right, when they get into the playoffs. And you know, Mark Followill does such a phenomenal job on the TV coverage. But the deeper the Mavericks go, the the more that he loses, you know, and yeah. so it's kind of like that. You know, it's, it's great, yes, for the national exposure, but, uh, you know, whenever they let me back in that booth, man, I'll take it. All right, Brent. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks, Chris. After Texas State SMU on ESPN, it'll be the primetime game, 7 o'clock Central, Memphis hosting Arkansas State. Of course, the Tigers coming off a season where they were the group of five rep in the New Year's Six Bowls, going to the Cotton Bowl, where they fell to Penn State. Jeff Brightwell hosts the Ryan Silverfield radio show on the Memphis Tigers Network. You'll also hear from him pregame, postgame, halftime, everything wrapped around uh, their ball games. And Jeff, when 
Ryan was named head coach. I know he'd been on staff since 2016, but take us through that time and how he reacted under the pressure of getting the top job just a couple of weeks before one of the biggest games in program history. Pretty interesting, Chris, how he went about it. Obviously, you kind of have the gut feeling. The, the rumors uh, started bleeding out big time on, on national television during the uh, American Championship game in Memphis when we, we beat Cincinnati. And you, you kind of knew what was coming the, the next morning. Mike Norvell shows up in, in Tallahassee and has all that. And they immediately name uh, the associate coach, Ryan Solarfield, the, the, the interim head coach leading up to uh, the Cotton Bowl. So they had a press conference talking about the situation, who was going to be the interim. And at the press conference, you know, he didn't take the PC route or the, uh, you know, what, the easy way he could have done it. He, he came right out. He goes, I'm applying for this job. I want to be the next, you know, Memphis football head coach. The way he approached it in the time between uh, the day after the championship game and to the, I guess, a week or so before the Cotton Bowl when he was named the, the new full-time head coach is that he put his head down and he was going to go with the philosophy. Right now, I'm the head coach. I've got to stay on the recruiting trail. I'm not going to change anything different how I'm going to go about this. That way, it's kind of an on-job interview. The, the committee, the president, the director of athletics is going to see how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to approach it. Uh, and, you know, they vetted other kind of candidates. They looked around the last two coaches we got, Justin Fuente and Mike Norvell, were found by uh, a search firm, at least the finalists were. And then, of course, the university uh, committee picks the final head coach. But they were impressed with, with how he went through it. He's not been an offensive or defensive coordinator, but he's got 20-plus years experience, the associate head coach. And, you know, at one shot, we have Mike Norvell maybe said something to the athletic director or the president on the way out that, you know, this is the guy maybe you need to get the most serious look at. How disappointing was that for everybody? I know it just kind of goes with the territory, unfortunately. You have an incredible season. You go to the biggest game in school history. But more often than not, that group of five rep ends up losing their coach before the bowl game. It's, uh, yeah, it's the second time it's happened to us in the last five years. Of course, Justin Fuente came in. And when, when Justin came in, he heard that the program was – at the lowest it has ever been. And, and let's face it, between Tommy West being here and, and get us, getting us to the New Orleans Bowl back in 2003, there was a 31-year gap between bowl games. And he had some success, five bowl games in seven years, uh, and they let him go. We've all seen the, uh, the infamous press conference. You can YouTube it. It's a, it's a riot now to watch. But he said some things that probably needed to be set out in public and out open to get the football program straight for the next hire. You know, you went with an alumni who you thought – thought would have done a good job you thought it was going to happen and unfortunately in two years it didn't work and he inherited a three and 23 program or a three and 21 program built it back up uh we won the Miami Beach Bowl and then the next year is when we beat Ole Miss on national television when they were ranked almost I think 11th or 12th uh got us in at 13th at the first college football playoff poll ended up stumbling late in the year because he was uh, I think maybe entertaining Virginia Tech a little bit lose him after that season uh, a little bit different situation with Mike Norvell but yes did, did lose him and like you said you, you kind of know it's coming uh, as much as you can offer uh, at a Memphis American conference school uh, you still just don't have the 20 plus million dollars a year that that the uh, P5s get per school and TV revenue I think most people understand the situation those two I think 
they left the, the best you could. You know, when Justin left, he wasn't, he wasn't hiding anything. He goes, look, if I can get a, a competitive offer or an offer I think is good, yes, I'm going to look at it. Uh, Mike never came out and really said that, but he never, he never made the promise that coaches trap themselves with that yeah. this is the only job I want. I've never <laughs> won another job. They're, they're, I, think, I think coaches realize that, you know, fans, fans and players now are savvy enough to realize that, that it is a business. Yeah, I, I, obviously it's all about uh, the dollar and advancing a career, but man, I would much rather live in Memphis than Tallahassee. So <laughs> he's uh, he's going to get a downgrade there. Well, he's going to. It's going to be interesting. You know, he's already had a a couple little speed bumps uh, with the players this year. Uh, you know, you hope the best for him, but yeah, uh, he he was able to step into a job like like Ryan is right now, where. Uh, it, it's it's different than most jobs. You take most jobs because they're not good situations. Sure. Right they're, they're, they both took over successful programs. The culture is really good. Uh, you're not pulling teeth to get guys to, to follow rules you want to implement. You know, he's at Florida State. It's 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 not like it was under Bobby Bowden there for a while. He's he's having to kind of uh, resuscitate that program and have to deal with the growing pains there. Where Ryan's going to be able to come in. He's been part of the program for all four years. He came in here with Mike. Uh, they're used to him. They know his policies and how things are going to go. So it's been a very, very smooth transition. And especially this year, uh, a new head coach uh, is really challenged because we talked to him on his coaches show last night. You, you dream of that first head coaching job. And when I get that first head coaching job, here's how I'm going to run things. Here's what I want to do in the program. And it's all been thrown out of the window with everything going on in the world. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk about, some of the players uh, started with DeMonte Coxey, top returning receiver in FBS. I think a lot of people assumed he'd leave early to the NFL draft, but he stayed and Brady White is back too. You guys really might have two legit Heisman contenders at Memphis. Well, again, especially this year, because you don't have two of the, you got four of the leagues not playing, two of the mm -hmm. P5 leagues. So you've got a chance, I know Brady's made a couple of the, uh, the Heisman watch list is the dark horse, but DeMonte has a big year. He could sneak in there well, and he's part of a pretty good receiving crew. You've got Calvin Austin uh, coming in there, too. Uh, a nice Memphis kid out of Harding Academy that's really come on. Uh, Taj Washington, who has seen uh, some time. Sean Dykes, who got injured through four games last year. He's going to replace that Joey Magnifico role at tight end and uh, the offense with Kevin Johns, who is remaining on staff with uh, – Ryan Silverfield, they do use the tight end. So a lot of targets for Brady White, the biggest rub on him, uh, maybe from fans. He's not really a, a dual threat. He, he'll run when he has to, but he's kind of a pocket guy. and He's not going to chunk the ball 60 yards, but he's extremely accurate, uh, tireless uh, prepper for the game. Mike Norvell is huge on him. So is Mike, uh, Ryan Silverfield, just about his intelligence, his IQ level, the ability to check off at the line, recognize formations, just a cerebral quarterback. and. You know, you've got those guys like DeMonte uh, who have been in this system. Uh, it, it provides him with a lot of targets. I would expect you're going to see uh, still some nice highlights uh, from the receiving crew this year. Nobody had a better freshman year than Kenneth Gainwell. Best rookie campaign a running back has ever had at Memphis. But he's opting out this season. Several relatives died with COVID-19 complications. So you don't blame him at all, certainly. But now his teammates have to play without him. How do you deal with losing a guy like that? Well, it's, it's almost a similar – not similar situation, but last year we expected Patrick Taylor was going to be the feature running back after Daryl Henderson 
had uh, finished here at Memphis and got drafted by the Rams, and all of a sudden Patrick goes down. Uh, when we had heard, and you hear every coach talk about the next guy, how special he's going to be. And uh, we had seen Kenny play a little bit his true freshman year before he got the red shirt. You knew there was something there. I don't think anyone uh, could have forecasted how huge of a year he had. But uh, six days before the season started, and like you mentioned, had four family members pass with COVID-related illnesses, uh, an uncle in the last week. His little brother is on the team right now. We'll see if he, if he stays for the year. Maybe he opts out for a season, uh, how that goes. But in our private, and you know this, with the broadcast background, you, you get to have those private coaches meetings, uh, prepping for games. And every year, every week, we would meet with Mike Norvell. And uh, without fail, every week, he would talk about Rodriguez Clark. You got to wait and see this guy. He's going to be special. He played a couple of games last year so he could get that red shirt. But he harped on Rodriguez Clark without fail, whether we brought his name up or not. Now, he's still got to live up to that potential. He's still got to perform on the field. But uh, with that similar situation, next man up type of mentality, we, we kind of saw it last year. Uh, if, we, if we get just a, you know, half, 70, 75% of what Kenny did last year blowing up on the scene, it would be good. Also, Kyle Watkins a Memphis kid, a redshirt junior who has come in, uh, can help out there as well. Fortunately for those guys, with Brady, with the receiving core, it doesn't all fall squarely on their shoulders that they've just got to run the ball all the time. Defensive side, a complete overhaul in the coaching staff. What have you learned about how Mike McIntyre does things and uh, who are his biggest playmakers going to be? Well, I think the linebacking core has got some experience now. We made a little bit of a jump in defense last year, but I still think overall defense, we were somewhere in the 80s. That was a significant jump from the year before. Uh, and, and you know, in the G5, you're, sometimes you're kind of recruiting either to be offensive heavy or defensive heavy and trying to, to use some experience. We've been young in the defensive backfield, but Brian told us last night on the coach's show, he's, he's excited about the, the linebacker core with Xavier Cullen, Thomas Pickens, J.J. Russell, some returners there. Uh, haven't really been able to see much of how Coach Max going to run things defensively because obviously practices have been closed. We've done some Zoom calls with him, some press conferences. What you what you try to rely on is what he did last year at Ole Miss. In fact, we opened the season with Ole Miss last year. They held us to the lowest point total of the season, given that's the first game of the year. But you look at the jump that the Rebels made last year in their defense, his head coaching background, national coach of the year at Colorado. He had a big turnaround at San Jose State. Uh, for him to come up here to Memphis. And Ryan Silverfield also said, look, he's comfortable in his role at defensive coordinator. A lot of time, if you've been a head coach on a, on a big level, like in the Pac-12, you're, you're immediately looking to where's that next big job going to be. And he's comfortable in his own skin at, at defensive coordinator right now. This is a great uh, week one matchup for Memphis. Arkansas State just across the river. For them, it's probably their biggest game of the year. They want to knock off the big boys uh, over there in Memphis. But for you guys, it's week one. There are much bigger things down the road with, again, potentially getting that group of five bid again and really huge expectations. But what are your biggest concerns about the Red Wolves? Biggest concern going into this game is how improved will the defense be? Uh, we know uh, from what we've heard, from what we've read, different publications that they're a little bit similar to us as far as they're an offensive heavy team. Uh, what, what, what you read online, what you read in the magazines, is maybe their defense is not as accelerated as far as coming up and improving. They need to do some work there. But if you get in a shootout with Arkansas State, it's going to be dangerous. And the scary thing is, and they're in the same boat as 
as every other team that's going to play is you probably had less than 50% of the practices you were going to have if you go back to having spring practice, optional summer workouts, getting in the weight room. So you just you really don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we're fortunate enough that our second game was going to be at Purdue. So we're going to take the bye week, not reschedule. It's one of those things you, you really have to concentrate, as Ryan said last night, on the fundamentals. You can't get too sophisticated in the first game, even though you've got a veteran team. Uh, this game could stay close to the half. Maybe we can get some separation in the second half. But you don't take anything for granted. We've not played them in seven years, but it's one of our longest rivalries. They've won four of the last six. You mentioned uh, that they would love to, uh, to come over here and grab a win, put, us, uh, put, them, uh, put the score on us a little bit, uh, because even though uh, it's, a, it's a regional thing, we have a little bit of the advantage. You know, you still go into recruiting battles with these guys. They're about an hour and 15 minutes away over at Jonesboro. And, yeah, it's a big game, but they don't look at it as a game that they can't win, even though I know the Lions right now are looking at 19, 20 points. They don't – they're not intimidated. They don't look at Memphis as, oh, the Cotton Bowl team, the American Conference champion, and let's just go over there and, and make a good showing. They're, they're definitely coming in trying to win this game. It's the first time we've mentioned the line on the show, and, you know, I've never been a gambler, but <laughs> – Anybody who is betting on college football in this COVID season has to be absolutely <laughs> insane. Well, I, I was surprised when it came out. I think one of the first lines had it at 21 and a half. I was just thinking there's, that will be great if it happens. You just don't see that happening. And you, you're going to have – it's going to be – and I'm sure you've talked to some other coaches and we talked to Ryan last night about it. It's, it's not just the first game this year. The first probably – Three weeks. There's going to be some pretty ugly football out there just because it's not just the beginning of the season. It's the beginning of the season where teams have, since, since our Cotton Bowl, we've had four weeks, of the, the four weeks of fall camp. That's it. Got them back. They got in the weight room a little bit, small groups, being on the field. I mean, it's, it's, there, there are high school teams that have had way more practice <laughs> and prep time for their football seasons than uh, NCAA Division One. Yeah. Jeff Brightwell, uh, we had a chance to work together for a, a few years, bringing you over to call some Central Arkansas games. So really great to, uh, to have you aboard here on the Group of Five Live podcast. And hopefully we can do it again. I'm looking down the schedule in just a few weeks from now, Memphis SMU lines up as potentially being a game that could decide that Group of Five uh, bid when it comes down to it. Well, the, the preseason poll for the American came out about 30 minutes before we, uh, we went on this and had Memphis pick third. So that's probably good. The defending champ picked third. And you can play the typical chip on our shoulder. No one believes in us. Just I haven't seen that yet. Down. That's kind of crazy considering what we talked about, what's coming back. Well, they're, they're going, I think, UCF, SMU, Memphis is their top three. We got a couple of uh, first place votes in there, but uh, uh, not even getting one or two. I mean, I'm sure the coaches and the fans are going to play that up for the chip on their shoulder. But the <laughs> SMU game, did change a little bit because of the situation. Initially that week, we were going to play – the week before, we were going to play at Texas San Antonio on a Saturday night, have a five-day turnaround to play SMU on a Thursday night on national TV. And I believe ESPN bumped that back to the Saturday game. So it helps now that you get a full week to, re to recover because uh, we all remember the SMU game last year was huge. First time college game day. And as a born and bred Memphian, and I've seen the program at its absolute worst, Never in a million years did I think we would ever have a college game day, ABC primetime game. And the funny thing was, uh, it wasn't funny at the moment, but uh, that Tulsa game, when that kick sailed wide to the left, boy, you're, you're that close. We were doing our post-game show from a, um, 
a local a restaurant and bar where we do our uh, one of our coaches shows. And it just got eerily silent the last two minutes as Tulsa was driving down. Because you could just feel we were this close to getting something so special and we're about to see it just, you know, typical, typical letdown of a program like Memphis. You get that close, get the rug pulled out from under you, but then the, the ball sails wide to the left. We've got game day. We've got the ABC primetime game. Uh, and SMU's trying to stop a little bit of a losing streak to Memphis. It was close last year, but the last couple times we've gone down to SMU, we put a, a lot of points. And, you know, SMU's probably in the – the spot Memphis was in the last couple of years. They've been close. They haven't made the championship game, but maybe looking to uh, to have that breakthrough this year, especially because, remember, the American with UConn's departure, we're not playing divisions. We're in an 11-team league similar to uh, the, the Big 12. The top two teams will just face off in a championship game. All right, Jeff. Thanks very much. Appreciate you being with me today. Oh, it was awesome. Good to catch up with you, Chris. Thanks to both Jeff and Brant for spending some time with us. Looking forward to their games tomorrow. A full day of Group of Five football on Saturday. Get started at 1 Eastern, noon Central, with Marshall hosting Eastern Kentucky. We will recap the weekend that was and look ahead to Week 2 on Monday here on Group of Five Live. It's part of the Landry Football Network. Thanks for listening, Bill.